I couldn't do everything that they could do, even though I still wanted to participate. Welcome to Everyday Leadership, a podcast where I interview leaders not defined by position or title. Everyday people who lead their lives in extraordinary ways. And on this podcast, they share their stories, their life lessons and practical tools in the hope that it will inspire everyday people like you and me to realize we are everyday leaders. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Winston Glenn, Ben Clements, who, for those who don't know, you're going to delve into the story a bit more, but he's an international keynote speaker. He's a trainer on resilience, diversity, and a lot more, entrepreneur, mentor, and someone that I find very, very inspirational. And that's why I just had to get him on and just break his story down so people can really hear about, hear from the horse's mouth rather than me regurgitating something. How are you doing, Winston? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Right, it's been, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, for those who are not familiar with your story at all, you have um, brittle-born disease, osteogenesis. Yeah, osteogenesis, osteogenesis imperfecta. It's not okay. the easiest thing to say. To <laughs> no, not, I, was trying to, I was trying to practice that. I'm like, I'm going to try to get this right. I'm going to get this right. Which is a very um, rare um, bone disease. I think you had, what, 200 fractures in, in your lifetime? Yeah, I had Yeah, probably more than 200 now. But majority of them happened sort of before the age of 15. So it's been a lot more stable since, I guess, adolescence. If I could say that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how were those, um, I guess those early years for you dealing, dealing with that, dealing with OI and mm -hmm. um, life in general as a young person? Yeah, I think, to be honest, one of the things that, I, the way I remember my childhood is actually pretty fondly. Like I had a lot of fun as as a kid. So I grew up with, I got two younger sisters. There's not a massive age difference between us. So there's like a year and then 18 months between us. So we're pretty, pretty much age mates. And so, yeah, for me, I remember just, you know, messing about with my sisters when we were younger, had the cousins over, had the aunties, the uncles you know, typical, like, big African, you know, household type of vibe. So weekends were, you know, a lot of cooking, a lot of kids in the house and that kind of thing. So so it was pretty fun. And then maybe what made my experience different to perhaps my sisters or some of my cousins was, you know, this situation with, with OI, with osteogenesis, because it basically meant that I couldn't do everything that they could do, even though I still wanted to participate. So... You know, they were, you know, when they were going to the playground, when they were going to, you know, for swimming or, you know, even just getting up to mischief, right, which you do at that age, you know, I had to be a little bit more careful because for me, my bones were just super fragile. So, you know, a typical scenario would be, you know, I could be, I don't know, just messing around and I fall off a chair or something that could be a broken leg or a broken arm for me. So pretty serious or even in more... I guess trivial ways so I remember situations where I had a cold and I did a big sneeze and I cracked like four ribs by doing that so I guess my situation was it was fun but it was just more fragile than maybe the average kid growing up. And at school did that make you approach school differently, friendship differently, 
or were you just the same the same person? Honestly, I think I was the same person, and I think actually this is one of the reasons why I had so many fractures earlier on, because you know I still I guess you get to a point because a, a fracture sounds and it is a really painful situation and it is quite serious. You know I don't know if you've experienced any, but you know. That you yeah, might... I've got a couple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not something you want to repeat all the time. And so, but I think it got to a point where I almost learned how to manage my fractures. And I almost accepted that, you know, from time to time, I am going to break a bone. And, you know, but is it worth me not going out with my friends or, you know, not like participating in school? Then no, I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to, you know, be involved. If there's football being played, of course, I'm not going to be able to to kick a ball because I'm in a wheelchair but hey I'm gonna I'm gonna I remember one situation with football actually where I said to the PE teacher I can't kick the ball but can I be the referee and he was like yeah cool and so there I was in my wheelchair in the middle of like the field with all these boys running around kicking a ball like the ball just missing my head by millimeters that situation and for me all of those things were worth it because I just wanted to have fun I'm quite a social person and so, so yeah, I just kind of figured a way around it. That's, that's so dope. Because girls, you've had that whole, I'm not putting any limits on me or what I can do. I'm still going to have fun and just try and live as much as possible. And I find that really interesting, especially when I contrast where a lot of people are, generally speaking, where we tend to put limits on ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. And, and maybe part of the, the reason why I have that mindset is, again to do with my upbringing so even when it was when i when i when my parents had that decision to make when i was ready to go to school they a, a lot of people were recommending that they put me in a specialized school so that would be a school which would be you know catered for people with disabilities or people with special needs and so there i'd be looked after i'd be more protected maybe wrapped up in cotton wool to some extent but my parents were like you know, after deliberation, they were like, no, nah, you know, we'd rather he, he just went into the mainstream because, you know, even at home, like I said, I played with my sisters in the same way. I played with my cousins in the same way. And so they did, they wanted me to have a as normal an experience of life as possible. And so maybe part of that played into my own mindset of, yeah, you know what, I am different. Maybe I have to be more careful, but I'm still going to get involved. Did you ever think when you were young to what you do right now, do you, was this always the the dream to become a speaker, to become a trainer, go around talking around diversity, inclusion, leadership, changing cultures, or did you have something different in mind when you were younger? I had so many things in mind. Like, you know, I, yeah, I mean, growing up again, you know, with, with that African heritage, you might be able to relate, you know, it's doctor, lawyer, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, teacher or professor, you know, something prestigious like that. And then there was a time when, you know, all my aunties was telling me, my aunties and my uncles were telling me that I should be, I should be a judge because they thought, you know, they were like, yeah, you got, you got a, an old, a, an old wise head, even though you're young, so you should consider being a judge. So yeah, so I had all of these different like titles and potential careers thrown at me. And one thing that I remember was uh, my dad used to say, I think you're going to be a, a, a computer scientist. And this is like ages ago. This is like in the early 90s. I had no wow. idea what a computer scientist was. 
Furthermore, we didn't even have a computer at home. It wasn't, it wasn't like a normal thing for people to have computers in the way that they do now in the household. But I don't know, for some reason it stuck with me. And yeah, fast forward many years later when it was time to go to university, I was like, oh, what is this computer science course looking at me on the brochure? Let me try that. And kind of ended up starting off in a tech career as a programmer. I did that for for many years, eight, nine years, really enjoyed it. And then kind of slowly developed a bit of a side passion around inclusivity and diversity. And then eventually that side passion overtook my technology career. And so that's now my focus and what I do my speaking on. Did you ever ask your dad why he said that? Why, where he, that idea came from? To be honest, I don't even think he knew what computer science was. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, like my dad, he was very, um, he, he liked learning. So one of the things about him was he loved to learn and like, he'd, he'd like always at dinner, he'd be telling us about things that he read in the paper, like, oh, there's this new technology coming up. You're going to be able to, you know, call each other on video on your phone. This, these were things that just sounded like sci-fi, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And so he always had that interest. And so maybe that was partly him projecting, you know, I want my son to be involved in some of these amazing developments that are coming up. And so maybe computer science is that vehicle. I think it was more that. Did you always have the confidence that you do now to be able to get up on stage? I mean, it's not it's not easy to be a speaker. And a lot of us, I think, what, 90% of people shy away from speaking publicly, let alone sharing your story the way that you do. So were you always as confident and you're like, yeah, I can get up on stage, I can talk or... Does this take some time for you to develop into who you are now? Yeah, honestly, people don't believe it when I say it, but naturally, I'm a massive introvert. I what? Yeah, I'm a massive, massive introvert. When I'm on a call, because I, I attend a lot of events as well, just as a, a member of the audience when I'm not speaking, when I'm, on, when I'm in that type of situation, I'm the guy who's at the back of the room, just quiet, like, I'm not putting up my hand, I'm not being outgoing anything like that being an introvert is my default persona so I'm really even in school like I was really I was a joker but I was a joker you know with my people that I knew like my boys or people that would hang around with in the playground at the break times but when it came to like a wider group situation I would I would kind of retreat within myself and you know just want to like learn from a distance and so you know when I said to when I started like developing this passion for you know these topics like resilience inclusion and diversity and then wanting to 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 find ways of sharing what i've learned um i looked into writing i looked into speaking i looked into various different ways of doing it and when i when i started dabbling in speaking because i think the reason why i tried speaking was because i actually wanted to develop some confidence as a speaker because like i said by default i'm such a big introvert and in some situations, maybe someone listening to this will relate, you know, when you're the introvert in the room, it can be a, a little bit embarrassing because you feel like maybe I should ask a question for once or maybe I should, you know, show some interest by putting my hand up. And so for me, speaking was a way of me developing that bit of confidence to to be that person who puts their hand up, to be that person who communicates a more um, in a more visible way. And then so at the same time, I was using that as a platform to share these new things that I was learning around resilience and around, you know, diversity. So short answer, no, speaking did not come naturally to me at all. It's something that 
even today I'm still working on. I always find it very fascinating when we as individuals, when we break, step outside of our comfort zone and do something that we're doing for ourselves, you did speaking to grow your confidence, it turns out to be a gift for the world. And there's so many people who have like gifts and talents that they just keep hidden. But when they actually break free like you did, you make such a massive impact on influencing and shaping and changing lives of so many people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, honestly, it's, um, and you know, initially on, in my speaking journey, you know, or in that process of me learning to speak and building up my confidence, there were so many, there were so many times when I wanted to give up, to be honest, because, you know, the way I started, I don't know if you've come across this, this organization, but they're called Toastmasters. And what they are is, I guess you could call them a public speaking meetup. So you meet small groups between, I don't know, 10 to 20 people typically, and you'd kind of take it in turns to deliver like a very short speech under five minutes, and then you get evaluation back from uh, from the audience, uh, that small group again. And so for me, I remember my first couple of speeches, and it was just, you know, talking about like really basic things like introducing myself or, you know, talking about something that I was doing at work or a topic or a book that I was reading, you know, and then they would also film it for you as well. So you could take the video home as well and watch it back and see and see how you might improve. And I remember I was cringing so, so hard watching those videos. Like, I know people don't like the sound of their voice anyway, but I just looked awkward, like I was hesitant. I was, yeah, just totally didn't look comfortable on this stage and so at that point though many times I was thinking hmm is this even for me maybe I'm I'm kidding myself but at the same time I would get the feedback every time I'd, I'd speak on the stage even on, in those early days people would come up to me afterwards and say you know what something about the way you deliver is just really touching it's just really it builds connection to the audience so just keep working on it and so I knew that, you know, my own ego wanted to say, nah, you, you don't look good out there, just leave it alone. But like internally, I also knew that it was helping people in some way. And so I had a responsibility to keep working on it. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Like a little bit of encouragement to keep you pushing forward actually made such a difference to, to keep you moving. So we only, we only be encouraging in life. And so many times people don't know how much just the flipping passing comment so small can actually really really resonate and and hit somewhere deeper because they don't see what's inside of us yeah yeah it's true and um and i think one of the things that i hear from a lot of people and a lot of speakers maybe in particular is you know because there's so many i guess if you think of motivational speakers or people who speak on various topics you know i'm not the only one who speaks on diversity and inclusion i'm not the only you know, inspirational speaker, quote unquote, you know, there's many, many people, but, and, and you, that I've seen that as being a barrier for some people, because they're like, well, I don't just want to be another motivational speaker, there's so many people doing it, you know, what's going to make me different, and <clears throat> I think the way I have come to understand it now is sometimes people need to hear the same thing, the same wisdom, the same knowledge, the same lesson, but they just need to hear it from you. Like they need to yeah. hear it from you and not from Tony Robbins or Les Brown. They just need to hear it from your voice through you as being the channel. And, 
you know, because that's that's one of the things that used to confuse me at first because I was thinking, I'm not saying anything groundbreaking. These are just, you know, personal development is personal development. You know, no one's no one's no one's teaching anything new that's not been around for, you know, hundreds and thousands of years. But sometimes someone just needs to hear it from you. And I think the way I compare it is it's almost like when you have that favorite uncle or auntie growing up and, you know, you, you like, yeah, I can, I can use myself for this because this applies to me. So my parents always used to say to me, yeah, you need to eat your vegetables. Like when I was growing up, when I was a kid, because I basically avoided my vegetables like the plague. <laughs> and, so, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And still at the end of every meal, like I had eaten everything else and the vegetables were on the plate. Every time to the point where my parents were like, okay, cool. He just doesn't do vegetables. And then like my uncle, uh, my mom's brother, was one of my favorite uncles, you know, whenever he would come home and this conversation would come up again, you know, about the vegetables, he'd be like, yeah, you know, Winston, you should, you should eat your vegetables. You know, it's good, you know, make you stronger. Literally repeating the same conversation, but because it's coming from him, I'd be like, oh yeah. Favorite uncle said it. Okay, I'm gonna eat my vegetables, and and so that's how I'm, that's how I see speaking nowadays. You know, same wisdom, same knowledge, same impartation, but you, you might just need to hear it from a different mouthpiece. And so that's what you can be, whether you're a speaker or with any product business that you might be working working on. Why resilience and diversity? Why was that the area that you you chose to to focus on? <laughs> Yeah, good, uh, good question. So I think, um, so first it was resilience and that kind of came about, so yeah, so kind of going back. So when I started learning about the speaking, so when, like I mentioned, I started going to this small meetup, the Toastmasters meeting and practicing my, my speaking, I, I was there for a few months and then one of the guys who was one of the more experienced speakers in the group. He said, hey, Winston, you know, you've been here three months. You made really good progress. Have you ever thought about doing a TED talk? And I was like, what do you mean? I've only been speaking for three months. I'm definitely not ready for, you know, a big stage like a TED talk. And he was like, well, think about it. Like, I really encourage you to do it. And then this became like an ongoing thing. So every week when I went to to do the Toastmasters um, public speaking, he'd say, so have you thought more about it? Why don't you apply for a TED Talk, see what happens? And then it just got to a crescendo to a point where I was like, okay, fine. You know what? I'm going to apply for the TED Talk. And I don't think I'm going to get it because I'm quite new as a speaker. So, But I'm going to just apply just to get you off my back, basically. <clears throat> and then it was one of the situations. So I did the application form, which actually turned out to be pretty straightforward. And it's one of the questions I often get asked, you know, how do you, do a, how do you apply for a TED Talk? You literally go on their website, fill out an application form, tell them what you want to talk about. If you have video of you speaking, then that's always a bonus because they can see you on stage as well. So I did all of that, sent it off. And yeah, I kind of just didn't expect to hear anything back. It was one of those applications. And then <clears throat> two weeks later, you know, I had this email in my inbox and said, Ted, and I just kind of clicked on it, not even expect, just expecting it to be, oh, unfortunately, you didn't get in this time, but, you know, we'll keep your details on record, you know, that that typical response. But it was actually an, an, an invitation to, to have a phone call about my application. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, didn't really, didn't really want that, to be honest. <laughs> 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 and 
friends. So I have this phone call and the guy's like really happy with everything that I'm proposing and he's like, okay, fine, you're in. I'm going to put you forward for a TED talk. And my first TED talk was basically me sharing a lot about my own story and, you know, some of the things that we've talked about here already with my upbringing, with some of the lessons, with, you know, how I dealt with, you know, my osteogenesis imperfecta, how I used, you know, my, my pain to to develop mental mental strength and to develop power to move forward in my education, in my career. So it was basically a, all about me and my story. And so I delivered that TED talk and when it got released, because TED, they do a lot of promoting for you anyway when they when they push things out. So it started to go a little bit viral and a lot of my friends as well, they, you know, people in my network on LinkedIn, Facebook, etc. they shared it as well. And so it, it got a lot of traction. And then from there, I had a lot of organizations reaching out to me to say, wow, Winston, you know, that was quite a, quite a talk that you did um, on the TED platform, you know, really good um, demonstration of resilience. You know, these are things that we want to, you know, share and impart onto our employees, our workforce, would you be happy to come along and, and do something similar? So I was like, ah, I keep hearing this word resilience, resilience, resilience. So so then I started like positioning myself as a resilient speaker. So whenever I'd go to an organization, I'd speak on resilience, I'd speak on, you know, my story, but pulling out the lessons that can help a, a audience develop resilience. And then I guess with the diversity, that was more me pulling on from specific things that I noticed in my career and supporting organizations to to create spaces that are inclusive of people from all different backgrounds, whether you're disabled, from a particular ethnic minority, particular gender, all of those things. How can we create the space so that people can thrive and and have a sense of belonging? That's, that's a question I've actually got is how, how can organizations do that? Because mm. you only not only are you uh, a black African man, obviously also you're disabled, you're in a wheelchair. Mm. So it's that multiple layers and you have a very good understanding based on your experiences of how organizations, what that actually means. Mm -hmm. When we talk about inclusion and inclusive culture, when we talk about psychological safety, when we talk about thinking about everyone, what does that really mean? Mm. Yeah, honestly, it's a huge, huge topic. So I think what some of the things that it boils down to are pretty pretty simple so yeah so maybe the best place to to start is for me inclusion goes hand in hand with respect everyone wants to feel respected and i guess acknowledged for who they are and you know like you touched on you know we're all no one is just one thing you know you're not just a ethnicity i'm not just a disability you know, someone listening to this is not just a gender or a religion or, you know, a country of origin. We're all of these different things. And I think one of the biggest challenges with creating these inclusive spaces is, you know, it, it can become a box ticking exercise, which is, you know, perhaps you've noticed that as well with some organizations where it's like, okay, yeah, we're going to drive our inclusion roadmap forward by employing two more black people, three more Asians, one more disabled person, etc., etc., And then what you end up with is, yes, you have all of these different people in the team or in the organization, but still you haven't taken the further step to help them feel included. And, you know, what that can look like, honestly, is just taking that time to get to know people, 
taking that time to step back from things like unconscious bias, which is a really hot topic at the moment, because we all have these biases and, you know, unconscious bias isn't for the, the bad people. It's not about your character. It's just a function of who we are as as human beings. It's how we process information. But it's how can I how can I step away from my unconscious bias? How can I start to look at other people, my interactions with a clean canvas so that I get to know you for for you as an individual, not for you know, for the first thing that I see, which might be your ethnicity or your disability. So a lot of it is conversational, a lot of it is respect and a lot of it is being being reflective and taking the time to to connect with people who are different to you because that's how you build empathy and understanding. Hmm. And have you always experienced that when you worked in the tech world for the 10 years that you were there? Was that always very apparent or was that something that was hard in certain places? Yeah, I think, um, honestly, it depended. So like with my first job, I worked for a really big investment bank and, you know, they had, you know, they're one of the leading companies in the world. And so they, of course, had a lot of awareness, there was a lot of training on on these topics, you know, even, even, you know, going back to, you know, 10 years ago, which is when, when this was, and, and, and so you'd think that, you know, for an organization as, as large and as corporate and as forward thinking as they are, you know, that even they would get it right. But actually, you know, that it's very hard to get it right because inclusion for me, it's almost like a, I'd compare it to almost like a, a mindset, right? It's not a place that you get to. It's a mindset that you need to have. And so, you know, kind of going back to, to this company in particular. So they ticked a lot of the boxes, which, you know, many people would say would make them inclusive. So in my situation, being uh, someone with a disability, for example, I had basically access to some of the best equipment in the world. Like they did like a what do you call it, like a, an assessment of me. I had my own occupational therapist. You know, if I needed, you know, a computer screen, a gadget of any type to help me do my job, it was it was no bother. It was signed off straight away. So so that was really good for me because I knew that, you know, they were putting me in a position to, to perform at my best level on a practical level. But maybe what wasn't as apparent was me feeling that same sense of connection with with the organization's culture right so for example i didn't really have many references of people who are ethnic minorities definitely didn't have many references of people who are ethnic minorities and disabled and so and i'm not saying that again we need to go and hire these people but it's how can we create those conversations whether it be through training whether it be through through having focus groups and asking people you know to share some of their particular challenges that could only that might only be impacting their intersection. So how can we create these safe spaces? So I think that the soft skill side was missing a little bit, but they had it pretty pretty locked on when it came to the practical things. And so I guess nowadays my job as a trainer is to really help companies in having those conversations, in making sure that you know all people from all backgrounds are being seen, are being heard. Because the practical side is, it, you can see it on a sheet of paper, you can take it off, but it's that, that connection to the culture that I think is where the work needs to be done still. Yeah, that is, 
I completely agree with that. I think so. It's so often to because the practical is very very tangible. So it's so easy to do. It's the things that are not tangible, things that are not seen, things that are deep hidden within a lot of people that need to be unraveled where the work really needs to happen. But that's the area that a lot of people shy away from. And one of the things that I know that you also do a lot of work on is working on, on leaders and leadership in general. So I want to find out what is your definition of, of leadership? Mm, good question. I think my definition of leadership has probably evolved over time. So I, the way I understand leadership now is leadership is not a title, first of all, because I think, you know, I'm from the thinking, <clears throat> you know, previously, you know, if you'd ask me what is a leader, I think the first thoughts that would have popped into my mind are titles. So CEOs, you know, people who are in management positions at companies or, you know, people who are... Leaders in all industries, you know, the captain of a sports team, the manager of a football team, directors, all of these things. So for me, leadership has evolved more from being a title into, you know, uh, an example. So for me, a leader is an example. And I work in team situations where, you know, again, back in my IT career where, yes, we had a manager who was the official leader, the person that we answer to. But I can think of at least a couple of situations where there was someone in the team who was the unofficial leader and they were the unofficial leader because because of the way they carried themselves, because of the way they, they just set their example through their work ethic, the way they took the time to encourage others, to to speak to others, to support others, even when they didn't have all the answers. So for me, that's become more my, my perception of leadership in that it's a embodiment rather than a a title that is awarded to someone yeah the unofficial leader hmm. the person that has the doesn't have the title but that has the influence the one that people listen to or they go to when they want to move things forward rather than going to that person with the title yeah honestly and it, it works both ways it's like good or bad so you can even take it back to the you know to, to my younger days and you know i remember there were <clears throat> There were, yeah, because leadership is just influence. So even in a negative way, you know, you, you probably remember as well from, you know, back in the day when your parents would tell you not to hang around certain people, right? Don't hang around certain people because those people, they are likely to influence you just because of who they are, right? And in the same way, you know, a good leader who embodies positive characteristics, if you spend time around them, then they will change you in some way. They will influence you. So for me, that's what leadership is, because even that that bad kid in the neighborhood, you know, he didn't have a prestigious title. He was just who he was. And then he had other people follow him and then they became, you know, a, a group of bad kids. Right. And so leadership for me works in the same way. If you embody positivity, you create a good community of people who follow you um, to a more positive direction. Yes, absolutely like that. One thing that's been very important to you on your journey has been um, your faith. And I think, naturally speaking, a lot of people will look at you and be like, well, with everything that you've, you've gone through with having no eye, why would you still have faith in, and trust God exists? Why wouldn't mm -hmm. it be the complete opposite? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear that. And I think for me, my faith has just always been a part of who I am. So... 
I, I grew up in, like I said, an African household. So Sunday, you know, Sunday was not Sunday roast. Sunday was church. So, <laughs> so that that's pretty much like my background growing up. And so I think nurture had a part to play with it as well, because maybe if I had been born in a different home, then things might have panned out differently. But I think... You know, it got to a point where, you know, I think it was in my early teens, maybe uh, 13, 14, or maybe 12 even, <clears throat> when I really wanted to, to really, I, I really became curious about, you know, faith and religion and why is it that I, I go to church on a Sunday? You know, I started having questions and and wanting to to understand things before I do them, because I guess I was growing up a little bit. And so... <clears throat> That led me on a journey where I, I thought, okay, people keep saying that all the answers are in scripture, they're in the Bible, so I know, I'm going to read the entire Bible, age 12. So so that's what I did, I committed, it took me, took me a long, long time, probably more than a year, but I just deliberately, like, took my time to, to learn as much as I could by reading scripture, I read the Bible cover to cover. And looking back, I probably only understood about 30% of what I read. But I remember getting to the end of it and feeling what I can only describe as a set of confirmations as to why this was the right path for me to continue to follow. And, and you know, the other thing as well that I remember was throughout those difficult moments, because I think it's in difficult moments, like you alluded to, that sometimes people question their faith. It's like, well, if there is a God, then why is this happening? Why, why did I lose my job? You know, why did my house burn down? Why did, you know, my mom get sick? All of these things. <clears throat> but I think for me, when, when I thought about it, you know, it was during my, my darkest times, you know, when I was, you know, when I had all of these injuries, when I was in pain, when I was having all of these surgeries, that I actually remember feeling closest to God in those times. So, you know, my my parents couldn't comfort me because, you know, like we shared, you know, breaking bones is, it's just painful. Like it's, there's no other word for it. It's painful. You can't move. You, you're in constant pain for, for weeks on ends, right? Unable to move, unable to mobilize, unable to be independent. And so there's, you know, as much as my parents loved me and, you know, they did everything that they could practically to make me feel comfortable, it, it wasn't enough, right? So at the end, you know, at some point they would have to go to sleep and I would have to try and get some sleep. And it was in those moments where actually the only thing that could really soothe me, could really comfort me was, you know, saying a prayer or reading scripture or listening to some type of worship music. And so for me, that's why my, I know where my faith has got me from. And so even nowadays, you know, when maybe I'm doing a lot better with my health or, you know, business is looking like it's picking up, then that is still that is still the thing that remains my anchor. So, yeah, and, and kind of maybe shifting from this idea of faith being a 999 number. So it's like, oh, my God, I'm sick. Let me turn to God and pray. You know, for me, it doesn't work like that. It's, it's you know, I'm with God in the first place, you know, on my good day, on my bad days. And I think that's how it's always going to be for the rest of my life. What is your favorite gospel track? Your go-to track when you're feeling down? Oh gosh, um, let me think. I think I like a lot. Of, I don't know if you follow Maverick Music, so they're they've got yeah. pretty massive YouTube channels. So I like a lot of their stuff. Um, 
at the moment, what am I listening to? My favorite track that I've been rinsing recently is This Is A Move by Brandon. Oh, that's a tune. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so that one has been on repeat a few times. So I've had a couple of talks that I delivered this week virtually. And, you know, they were on Zoom. So I remember like signing on to the Zoom half an hour before everyone. And then I'd just be there looking at my slides and bouncing along to This Is A Move. So... <laughs> So yeah, so that's one that's playing a lot on my playlist at the moment. I think that was probably the top, one of the top three tracks on mine. That one and um, Something Has to Break mm. were, the, were the main ones on rotation for me last year. But so yeah, I absolutely love that. Nice. What's been the um the biggest lesson your parents have taught you? Mm. Yeah, so my parents, um, who are no longer here, by the way, so my parents are both passed away now. Um, I think one of the one of their biggest legacies um, towards me is is honestly just to go for it. So, you know, one thing I didn't really share, I think earlier on was so I actually wasn't born in the UK. So I was born in Africa, and then we moved to the UK when I was I was quite young. So I was still under under ten, maybe around ten. Um, and I think one of the things that I noticed as a one, one of my parents' mindsets has always been to go for it. So, you know, we reached a point where, <clears throat> you know, medically they thought that actually I would have a, a, a much better chance of, you know, having better facilities, better education and better career prospects um, with with a good level of support if we move to the UK. So they just made that decision. Hey, we're going to we're going to move to the UK and, you know, we're going to you know build a life in the UK to give, you know, my son, you know, my daughters, my sisters as well, you know, the the best opportunity for success. And so for me, that's that's remained a legacy from them in that, you know, whenever there was a big, big step to take, even if it required stepping out of our comfort zone, because we were happy back home, we're not, you know, in a difficult situation or anything like that. They've always, they've always had the bravery, the courage to take that step. And so for me, I think that's a legacy that I would like to take to take forward from them, not being afraid to take risks and and just follow purpose. You know, like even with my career, a lot of people would have thought that it was crazy to leave a good tech career to pursue a speaking career. But my parents were always behind that as well. So they've just always encouraged me to to be that person, to listen to my instinct and as long as I'm I'm keeping in faith, I'm keeping in, you know, in sync in in synchronicity with what God wants for my life, then they've always had my back with that. So, so yeah, so just to go for it would be the biggest lesson. Is that where your, I think one of the statements that you make a lot is your limitations are an illusion. Mm. Yeah, exactly that, exactly. And, you know, if I, <clears throat> if I was to go back to, to my childhood again, you know, sometimes in those dark moments, I would, I'd get myself into a, a negative mindset you know, like maybe many people do when things are not going well for you. So for me, that was physically, but for someone else, that might mean, you know, financial relationship or another health problem. And so you get yourself into this mindset of, oh my God, things are not going well. Like, what does this mean? Am I always going to have this limitation? What's it going to mean for me when I grow up? Am I going to be able to have a job, have a career, get married, all of these things? Or is it always going to be like this, right? Because negativity is is scary because it it feels permanent at the time right you can't see a way forward and so with limitations your limitations are an illusion it's something that i developed as a way of reminding myself 
of saying actually whatever's happening right now good or bad you know both ways everything is going to change everything is going to evolve so if you're listening to this and you're in a bad place right now you know it's it's not permanent tomorrow tomorrow could be the start of a new chapter so it's just hanging in there keep going keep doing the things that ground you which for me was prayer it was you know reading scripture and and just keep taking it day by day until that tide changes you know almost like the seasons we don't have winter forever eventually spring will come and summer will come it's just about hanging in there and and putting on your coat if you have to in the winter to keep warm but just hanging in there until things change i think those those words really resonate especially with the current period we're in right now i mean there's so many people who have felt that they're in winter mode that COVID-19 has been really bad and it's been a very extended winter period for them. And it's kind of just like, just hang on, keep on doing what you need to do just to take it day by day because the seasons don't last for long. They keep on changing mm-hmm. and that sun will come eventually. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, honestly, and, and it is a tough time, but yeah, day, day by day, because sometimes when we think too far forward as well, it can create anxiety because nobody can control what's going to happen, you know, even even if the government gives us their, you know, their four-step roadmap or whatever it is, you know, no, no, no one can say that, you know, things are not going to change again in April or in May or in June. You can only control what you do now, um, how you build yourself up today. And, and, and so just focus on that. Take it day by day. And when things open up, you know, that's fine. You know, we'll celebrate and enjoy it like everyone else. But don't don't give yourself anxiety trying to to get ahead of steam, just focus on today. So you're you're married, you've been married for um, about six months, but you and your wife actually work together and you run you run your business together. I'm always very interested to learn and hear how couples work together and how the dynamic really plays okay. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, yeah, we do. So we, my, my wife is also a, well, she's a life coach and a speaker. So she does a little bit of speaking, but she does more coaching. And of course, I'm a speaker. And so we do have our separate businesses, but we also have a joint business, which is a a mastermind group that we run together called Talk Let's Do More. And actually, we're going to be launching the next cohort on April the 3rd. So so that's one thing that we do together. And on that, we it's basically a, a venture to support people who are particularly new into entrepreneurship or within the first couple of years of entrepreneurship we get a lot of people who are speakers who are you know aspiring coaches um even people in product businesses we've had like a makeup artist interior designer like all sorts of things just people who are new into business and what we teach is of course there's the practical things that you need to think about with starting a business you know setting up the company and you know strategies for marketing, social media, branding, all of that good stuff. And we have some really good guest coaches that support with specific expertise as well. But I think the bigger part of it is actually the mindset. It's the mindset side of things because one of the biggest things that inhibits people from taking that leap, from following that calling, that passion, that sense of purpose is it's, it's all of those things, some of which we touched on earlier. You know, comparison is imposter syndrome is thinking, well, everyone at home is telling me that it's a bad idea, so not having the right community. So that's why we really support by, you know, providing that community, providing 
those mindset shifts and just for creating a space where it's okay for you to dream. It's okay for you to dream about, you know, winning the Nobel Prize or becoming a best-selling author. It's all good here. No one's going to think you're crazy. And so so that's, that's the kind of incubation space that my wife and I try to create. And it is an interesting dynamic working together. And of course, lockdown as well has kind of forced everyone to be more in each other's faces, if I can put it that mm. way. Um, but I think for us, because we also have our, our own separate businesses, so she's got her, like I said, her private coaching clients that she works with. I've got the speaking work that I do for the organizations that book me. So we kind of have our own things going on and then we come together to to work on the mastermind together. So it's not like we're in each other's faces 24 hours a day. So I think it helps having that that mix and that variety of things that we're, we're both interested in and then things that we can also work on together. Are your personalities, would you say, very different in the way that you approach work as well? Or um, Yeah, it, it is. So I think by nature, so I think an interesting thing and maybe this is probably one of the big reasons why we got married is we're both quite big introverts, I think. And so we, we don't really, yeah, I wouldn't call us extroverts. We're not like the outgoing, you know, loud type of people. Um, we just prefer to be in our own space most of the time. And so maybe that's what made us a good fit because, you know, we can be in a room together. My wife could be reading a book. I could be watching something on YouTube. And for us, that is a way of us spending time with each other. We don't need to be necessarily, you know, talking or doing something extroverted all the time. And that works for us um, on a personal level. And then I guess when it comes to business, we're different in the sense of I'm quite a visionary in the business. So, you know, I will, you know, I'll be thinking about, you know, almost like the the helicopter vision. That That's how I see things. So I'm thinking, okay, like even with, with our mastermind group, Talk Let's Do More, you know, one thing, one exciting thing that we've got coming up is that we're moving to to the US in the coming months later this year. And so I'm already thinking ahead, hey, how can we start like marketing, talk, let's do more in New York? How can we start like building, you know, some live events ready to go as soon as, you know, things open up after COVID and all of these things. And then my wife, on the other hand, she's very, she's very detail oriented. So she'll be thinking, Okay, yeah, I hear what you're saying about the 12-month plan, but we've got this event coming up on the 3rd of April. So, <laughs> so how about, like, we we get people on board, like, we create the materials, we create the workbooks, all the trainings, get the guest speakers booked and all of that kind of thing. So, But I think it actually complements each other because I'm thinking ahead and then she's kind of filling in the details as we go along. Is that a permanent move or...? temporary one so initially we're, we're gonna give it a go for three years so we've got a three-year invitation to be there and then after that we'll see if it's something that we want to uh, make permanent or whether we might be splitting our time between the uk and the us oh wow yeah okay and um what would you say i know that you have a, a mission to is to inspire one billion people mm-hmm why one billion people? <laughs> I think for me, growing up, I um, I always had the intuition, you know, kind of going back to those conversations that I said, like when my dad was like, you know, I think you're going to be a computer scientist. I didn't know what that meant, you know, like I shared 
but I knew it was something important, I knew it was something that it could impact a lot of people. And then there have been other moments in my life when, you know, because I'm out and about a lot, so like people would come up to me in the street and say, you know, wow, like you should be, you should be telling your story to more people. Or even when I speak on a stage, people say, hey, have you got a book? Like your story needs to reach more countries and all of these things. And so I think a pattern in my life has always been that, you know, I've always felt called to help a lot of people. And I think internally, I always had the sense or the intuition that helping a lot of people would be on a global level. And so, you know, of course, when I was six or seven, I didn't really know, you know, what that would look like, whether it would be as a speaker or whether I would, you know, do something in technology or things like that. But I just knew it would be something global. And so eventually when I started to, you know, kind of discover my purpose, discover my calling, discover that I wanted to to use my story to help people overcome their own limitations, their own mindset barriers. Um, and I was thinking, okay, so how can, I, how can I have that global impact, which I've always... I've always sensed that I was called to have. And so for me, one of the ways that I could think of doing it was by saying, I'm going to impact a certain number of people. Yeah. And and so it's like, okay, cool. So what's the number? What does the number need to be for it to feel global for me? Is it with, is it 100 people? Is it 10,000? Is it a million? Like none of those numbers quite resonated. Is it 10 million? You know, how many people are in the UK? I think it's 70 million. That's still only one country. So I was like, okay, a billion. It must be a billion. Because if, if you have an impact on one billion people or anywhere close to that, then surely, surely you, you've had a global impact and you've helped a lot of people and encouraged a lot of people in the process. So that was kind of my, my Winston's like rationalizing of impacting a global, having a global impact in the world. It just speaks to how having such a powerful vision can drive someone. I think someone, like I said in the past, like so often we, we put limits on what we can do. But when you actually dream big and you're like, you know what, I'm going to influence a billion people and you're heading towards that, it moves you and, you and you keep on going and you keep on driving forward and you're passionate about it because it's that, in a sense, it's that impossible goal that you're going forward to achieve. And you can hit one billion, you can hit two, you can hit five, or you can hit a hundred million or ten. Doesn't make a difference. It's the fact that you're being driven by something. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so important to set big, big goals. Yeah, agreed. And it, and it's one of those goals that you know you don't even you don't even have to hit. I don't even know if you want to hit it because I think what, one of the fears for me was you know setting a goal which I I achieve or I attain. Um, quite quickly and then thinking ah okay now what's next I've, I've, I've reached you know my goal of impacting a thousand people and it can start to feel like you know you lose a bit of your sense of purpose or it starts to lose its fulfillment if it, it if it doesn't if it doesn't you know take you on a long enough journey for you to develop and to grow and to face some hardships and to encounter challenges and grow from those challenges. So for me, I know a billion is almost like a lifetime goal, you know. Um, I'm still quite young, it's probably not gonna be, well, who knows, but it's probably not gonna be something that happens in the next few years. So it's gonna keep me motivated and working um, for a long, long time to come as well. So so yeah, so I'd, like, like what you were saying, you know, I would encourage people to, 
just to go crazy, set those, you know, big, big hairy goals as they call them and, and just go for them because even if you only get halfway, then you still, you still re already helped a lot of people. Um, and you, YouTube as well, you know, just to kind of maybe tell a bit of a story here to finish. Um, YouTube as well has been, it's been, it's been something that's presented itself. So my wife and I started a YouTube channel, um, together only about six months ago. Um, so quite a new channel and to be honest we didn't really post anything for the first three months we're thinking you know at some point we'll start like sharing our story because we're a little bit different we're a a interable couple as they call it you know one one half of the couple having a disability and so we thought yeah we're going to use that as another way of reaching many people and of you know encouraging people to to live life on their own terms and so <clears throat> and so yeah so again when you set that big goal, you know, so, you know, for my wife as well, she wants to inspire a lot of people. When you have that big, big goal, then you think of new ideas or new opportunities present themselves. So we started the YouTube thing and, you know, our channel just kind of blew up in a very short space of time. You know, we've got so many subscribers. We get messages each day, people in different countries, people writing to us in Spanish and other languages saying, hey, I don't even know what you're saying, but what you're doing is inspiring. And, you know, so when you start to aim higher, have those big goals, then new opportunities present themselves. And from YouTube, we've had invitations to speak on radio, um, to be featured in the press, in the media, newspapers, all of these things. So, yeah, more of the story is just set it high and see what, what other doors get opened up by you committing to that vision. That is the, the perfect way to, to end this interview. I just want to say like, thank you once again for not only owning your story, but sharing your story and inspiring so many people and showcasing the fact that you can be limitless. You don't have to put, regardless of whether you're black, what race you are, what gender you are, what's wrong with you, there's so many different things that you can do to push yourself forward. You're a living testament to that. And I honestly believe that you will inspire a billion people oh, through you. your story through youtube through social media to your talks through so many different things that you and your wife are doing and so much more to come i definitely believe you're going to hit that mark oh thank you and it's been a pleasure coming on everyday leadership and maybe we'll get to do a part two someday oh that'd be great i definitely look forward to that i might come and see new york that's it that's come <laughs> through man now you've got somewhere to stay come through <laughs> everyday leadership thank you Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Leadership. You can check out the show notes on www.mindsetshift.co.uk forward slash podcast where you can find out more about my guests and how you can contact them. You can listen to old episodes or if you have a question about this episode or any other episodes, you can just press a button and ask me that question and I'll answer it on the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, share this podcast with someone else. We'll see you next time on Everyday Leadership.